and welcome back to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. Thank you so much to those tuning back in after the little hiatus through June and July. I had to finish edits on my most recent novel, and I can honestly say that I typed so much most days that my fingers hurt and I just couldn't get the podcast done. But those edits are done, and I'm back now and continuing with our Parts of Speech workshop. This time, we're talking about verbs. And these episodes should be coming back much more consistently, uh, so we will be posting every other Friday or twice a month. Now, if you didn't catch the last episode, we started with nouns. And I know the audio is a bit messed up on that episode. I'm in the middle of working out what happened to it and why, because I re-recorded it two times and my editing software seems to have kind of gone haywire. But the gist of that episode is that nouns form this kind of backbone to a sentence. They're the subject and the object, and knowing how and when to use them will help achieve such craft elements as building suspense, conveying setting, and showing a little bit of the identity of your character. Today, we're shifting our focus to verbs. Now, verbs are any words that define an action. These actions can be easy to conceptualize, such as running, jumping, shouting, and so forth, or they can be more abstract words, such as feeling, thinking, is, and the ones like that. Now, verbs are the only required parts of any sentence in the English language. I can make a sentence without a noun, but I cannot make a sentence without a verb. For example, go, stop, drink, hide. These are all correct sentences in the English language because they use something called an implied subject. Essentially, I do not need to add a subject in a sentence when it's given in the imperative form, also called the command form, because that subject is understood to be whomever I'm speaking to. If I say, go over there, it's assumed that the subject is whoever I want to move across the room. Now, a lot of people may have different opinions, but in my own opinion, I think verbs are easily the most important part of any sentence from a craft element standpoint. The more interesting your verbs, the more interesting your sentence. Since they are the part of the sentence that tells what a character is doing, it is likely that the reader will pay the most attention to the verbs. There is a metaphor that is often used comparing verbs and nouns and adjectives to food. It goes something like, if the nouns are the potatoes, then the verbs are the meat. Now, that's a fine comparison in a lot of ways, but I think that it gets misinterpreted a whole lot especially because many people have different relationships to food and different relationships to maybe the way a meal is constructed. Instead, I think a better comparison is one that goes something like this. Think of your nouns as the bones of your story. You need them so that your story can stand upright. Without nouns, your story would be a pile of slop on the ground. Then on top of those bones, your verbs become your muscles. Bones are awesome, but they can't do anything without muscles to make them move. So if you want to jump, to sit, to twirl, you need muscles to be able to do that. I think this comparison does a better job of illustrating the way nouns and verbs are entirely dependent upon one another. I can have a meal with no starches. I can't have a working organism, uh, or at least a working mammalian organism, without bones and muscles. I can't have a noun that doesn't do anything, just like I can't have that good, gritty action if there's nothing to make move. When we're talking in terms of story, we want to think about relevant actions for our characters. The verbs we choose say a lot about them. 
Is your character one who is more likely to flutter their way to the table, or are they more likely to lope? Do they laugh, or chuckle, or bellow? Each of those words has a different flavor to them, and choosing the combination of flavors that fit your character will go a long way in helping the audience understand them in that wordless way we get when we feel like we know all great characters. Think of a simple task for your character to do. They can unload the dishwasher, fold the laundry, maybe organize their desk. I want you to think about writing this character doing those mundane things. Now, before you put pencil to paper, think about what kinds of words best describe your characters doing these chores. Once you have a handle on the flavor of your character, Write a short scene of them accomplishing the task, paying special attention to which verbs you're choosing for them to do it. For example, if I have a character packing for a long trip, what are the things they would choose to put in the suitcase and how would they put them there? How would they feel about what they're doing? Here's a passage that I wrote of Callista, who's a recurring character here on the podcast, doing just that. Callista stared at her closet. Clothes hung before her more than she had ever owned at once. Already, she'd thrown a few shirts and two pairs of pants in the suitcase. Socks, too, because Mom had insisted they have clean undergarments, and Callista knew better than to argue with her, even from the afterlife. If only Mom could have seen the spread before her, the collared shirts and the delicate dresses she'd never wear no matter who held a gun to her head, and shoes so shiny she could see her wobbly reflection in them. Good thing I taught you both some manners, Mom would have said. Don't forget them in a hurry. Callista sighed and sank onto the bed. Her hands, finding nothing better to do, settled into her lap. She curled her fingers, tightening them into fists, and for the first time since the train car, she longed for the ring. At least when she packed for a fight, the motions came easily. She didn't have to think. Gloves, shorts, top tight enough to keep everything in place. No, does this match, and are these shoes too much, and worst of all, how do you want to do your hair? What Callista wouldn't give for familiar braids, tight to her scalp so they couldn't be pulled, and a mouthful of rubber to protect her teeth, rather than lips painted redder than the fruits hanging outside. Now, we already know quite a lot about this character, but did we learn anything new with this passage? We can feel her disdain for whatever event she's going to with how she describes packing for it. The clothes are thrown into the suitcase. Not folded, not placed with care, but tossed without a second thought. She calls the garments hanging in the closet a spread, which is one of those words that can be both a noun and a verb. It brings to mind a cheese board or an extravagant dinner. And moreover, the way Callista uses the word, we get the feeling of anger. As you can see, there is a lot you can do with your verbs. They carry just as much character as any other type of speech, and in some cases, they do a double load. Not only do they help spur momentum into the reading, or take it out if that's what you need, but they also reveal a lot about a character's thought process. Now, when you're writing a first draft, it is perfectly okay to not be super concerned with the best verb you can think of in every single sentence. My first drafts are filled with the most generic verbs ever. My characters run and sit and go and turn, and that's perfectly fine. You need those placeholders you can get from one scene to the next. If you spend so long searching for verbs that you never finish your first draft, then that's certainly not helpful. Instead, I recommend writing your first draft without regard to the cadence of your words or how perfect they are. Only once you've finished the draft, 
can you then go back and concern yourself with how lively the writing is. Like I said in one of my earlier episodes, I actually completely rewrite my second draft from scratch. Using the printed out first draft as a blueprint, I go back and retype every single word. Doing it that way allows me to do a couple of things simultaneously. First, I get to hear the sentence in my head as I'm writing it and decide if I like the sound of it. Is it vibrant enough? Is it soft enough? Whatever I need. And I can make the changes on the fly as I'm typing it. Second, because I'm not worried about what the sentence actually says, I'm not reading it to understand it, I can focus all of my energy on making the words the most beautiful ones I can think of. It works better for me to do it this way rather than simply reading over the first draft and trying to delete and add things in the same document. I tend to get really confused when I do that and I leave things out and I don't finish things, so it's better for me to completely rewrite from first to second draft. Now, that's not to say that every single sentence in the entire manuscript needs the most beautiful words you've ever heard, right? That would be crazy. If you've ever read one of your fifth or sixth grade creative writing pieces, you'll realize pretty quickly that playing it fast and loose with all of these big impact words actually becomes more distracting than helpful. And dialogue tags are a really, really good example of this. Don't get me wrong, using words like exclaimed, screeched, yelled, whispered are great in moderation. If you read a passage where every single time someone speaks, they have some wild and exciting way of doing so, then the writing can actually start to sound like a wacky, over-the-top play rather than an actual conversation between rational people. Despite what all of our fifth grade teachers told us, the word said is not, and has never been, a bad word. Using it does not make you a bad writer, and to be honest, it probably makes you a good writer. People tend to skip over dialogue tags when they read as long as they know who's talking. And so it's perfectly okay, and sometimes preferred, to use a word, like said, knowing it's going to be skipped over. Or, if you're nervous about that, and you don't like the way it sounds, you can consider using nothing at all. As long as it's clear who's talking, there's no actual need for a dialogue tag, you know, he said, she said. A third option, some middle ground, is to use action in your dialogue. You don't have to use said if you just tell the reader what the characters are doing before, during, or after they speak. The reader will inherently understand who's talking because of the way the dialogue surrounds the action of the character. For example, if I take this scene from above, the one I just read, and I add on to it, I might look something like this. A knock on the door made Callista look up. Caden stood in the open doorway, holding on to either side of the threshold. How's it going? Callista cast a half glance at the, the suitcase. I'm getting there. He, too, looked at the pile of clothes. Are you just going to wear socks to the city? Callista snorted. Okay, I'm having trouble deciding. What did you pack? The usual, Caden shrugged. It's easier for me. I'm not being shown off. You'd do a lot better than I will. That's true, Caden grinned then let the expression fall. But I'm not the one who has to step into the ring. Glory and fame are just out of reach for me, unfortunately. It's short, but can you see how I never once needed to say the word said? If you're still shying away from that word, then this might be a good technique to practice. Not only will it stop your dialogue from sounding like a group of overenthusiastic stage actors are to blame for it, 
but it will add a lot of movement to your scene as well, which can be a great way to visualize any uncertainty your characters might be going through. Now, another thing to keep in mind as you're working with your verbs is when the focus of the sentence should be on your verbs and when you might want to let them fade into the background. As we've talked about before, negative space makes color stand out more than it could on its own. In other words, having generic verbs when you want to focus on other parts of your sentence make your standout action words pop all the more. In a sentence where the main point is not the verb, but something else, it's in your best interest to let your verb fade into the background. This is why those more out there dialogue tags should be saved for a moment when you really need to show a character breaking or losing control or becoming so overwhelmed with joy, they have to express it. That way, the reader will notice those one-off words and they'll give them the weight that those words deserve. Similarly, if a character is looking at something important or perhaps figuring out some important piece of a puzzle, then I might let my verbs fade into the background so the reader can focus on the information and not the action of the character getting there. Instead of them leaping toward the object and squinting at it to figure out its significance, I might relegate my verbs to more common, they moved over and looked at it. It all depends on the context of the scene. Verbs also have a unique ability to give a time to the story. Your past, present, and future are all found in your verbs. Is the character going to the store or have they already gone? Are they planning to go sometime in the future? Within your verbs is your tense and it's important to keep that tense consistent as you're writing. If you're going to break tense going from past to future or present to past or some other combination, you should know your reason for doing so and be able to defend it in the context of the story. For example, you might have a moment when a character is working themselves up to do something big. They've just realized that they are the only ones who can save the day and they need to find the courage in themselves to do it. In this case, you might be able to switch tenses to show the moment that the character decides what they need to do. Use these few sentences as an example. Keela crouched at the mouth of the tunnel. He watched as the sky lightened, the sun creeping over the hills in the distance. They'd taken his brothers, and now they'd taken his friends. They'd made him feel small, had him convinced he could do little more than lie on the stone floor and weep. Well, he was done with the tears. He'd woken up, and they wouldn't like who he'd found. See how that sudden tense shift at the end? We went from past to future, brings focus to the weight of that character's decision, right? So we went from he'd woken up, past tense, and they wouldn't like who he found. So we're going into future tense. The reader understands that some change has occurred within the character, the same way that the verbs have suddenly shifted to show us that. Now, you can use this to your advantage in your own writing. Try it as an exercise. Take a moment of great emotional significance for your character. This could be a revelation they undergo, a big choice they make, or a moment where they learn something big. Write the scene as normal. Then, once you're done, go back and see if you can change one sentence to a new verbal tense. How does that change affect the weight of the passage? What if you were to change a different sentence? How does that move the weight somewhere else and maybe convey a completely different understanding? 
you might notice that some tenses are easier to move in and out of than others. Past tense, for example, which is what I started the last passage in, is the one that most easily absorbs tense changes without it feeling too jarring, as long as you do it intentionally. This is why many novels and long-form works are written in past tense. Present tense is harder, but it can certainly be done. As for future, I haven't heard of any long-form works being completed in future tense, but if you've got an example or something that you wrote yourself, then please share. I'd love to hear them. To sum up, verbs are easily the most important part of any sentence, and they often go overlooked. By paying attention to your verbs, you can use your writing to convey so much more than what's written on the page. You can use them to reveal character, to draw attention to certain parts of your sentence, and to create dramatic shifts in perspective for your character. In the next episode, we'll be talking about adjectives and the role adjectives play in the writing and kind of when adjectives can be really useful and when they can be distracted. So stay tuned for that. I hope this episode has been useful to you and thank you all so much for listening. Again, thank you for tuning back in after the little hiatus that we had. Please feel free to go back, pause, or replay any part you want to hear again. If you really liked the episode, leave a review or share it with someone you think might be interested in verbs and all the different ways they can be used in writing. If you're interested in telling us a story about your own writing experience, sharing your work with us, or you just want to say hi, you can send an email to writeturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3, T-U-R-N at gmail.com. If you'd like to engage with the community in other ways, you are welcome to subscribe to the newsletter at jordanmgriffin.com, which will tell you when new episodes come out. That will be found in the description. In addition, I have an Instagram, which will also let you know when I upload videos. Link will be also in the episode description. As always, I wish you all the best in your own writing. Have a wonderful day, and if it's not a good one, I hope that the next one is better. See you next time. Thank you.